0: K-A-L-W
1: Here I stand
2: in winter
1: Today, the music of Betty Reed Soskin. Yes, that Betty Reed Soskin.
2: Many of you know me as a park ranger, but there's a part of my life that I've kept hidden for half a century
1: a new documentary about the iconic park ranger. Then we meet the advocates keeping Richmond's rich music legacy alive.
3: At one time, going through the neighborhoods, you could hear guitar players playing in their house. You could hear piano playing. You could hear people singing in their houses.
1: Black history and music in the Bay. I'm Henat Baba, and this is Cross Currents. The new documentary tells the story of Betty Reed Soskin, the iconic 102-year-old park ranger famous for being assigned to the Rosie the Riveter Education Center in Richmond. And this film talks about a different part of her life many of us may not know about, her time as a singer. Reed's family was a musical family. She and her husband opened Reed's Records on Sacramento Street in Berkeley in 1945. While her music wasn't known for a long time, she's recently unearthed it for the documentary Sign My Name to Freedom, directed by Brian Gibble. I talked to Soskin's daughter, Diara Malik Kitty Reed, to tell me about the musical side to Miss Betty.
2: Many of you know me as a park ranger. But there's a part of my life that I've kept hidden for half a century. Little boy black, little boy black. I packed Secret Betty up in boxes and in reel-to-reel tapes. No one in my life knew that I had been a singer or that I had written music. I talk about you know, suffering a mental break, but I don't give anybody the reasons why. But the music saved me.
4: It really did. Well, we were a pretty musical household. My parents started one of the first African-American owned record stores in the Bay Area in 1945. So music had just was in and out of us all the time throughout the time that, you know, my early childhood until adulthood. So I played guitar, my older brother played guitar, she started playing guitar. So music was like interwoven throughout our family. So it wasn't uncommon for you know us to sit around the living room and you know just have a family sing. During those times in the 60s and 70s, there was so much going on musically, and not only politically, but musically too. And my mother's music was more of an expression of what was going on in her life, it was also dealing with trauma that she was going through.
2: Hear my wind song, hear the girls cry. We were the first family of color in Walnut Creek. Why must my And I think that had I known the price my kids would have to pay before we moved in. Just I don't really know if I'd put them through that.
4: My oldest brother, which is, I, Rick, was like, I think, seven years older than me. I could just remember, you know, him having to basically do have fights after school every day because he was the only black kid in school. And I used to go downtown on a holiday because I went to a private school and the police would pull me over and say they don't want to see me in the street because it wasn't a public school holiday. And, you know, just get followed around the stores by all the store detectives, just watching you everywhere you go. I mean, it was, you know, it wasn't easy.
2: Here I stand in winter's wildness,
1: sea and sand. She was telling a story through through this, what a, a beautiful voice. Yeah. And so what was it like to hear your mom sing at what point did you say wow you know this this is very special and important
4: Well I can remember in my early teens that she my gr- my grandmother came to stay with us for a while and she disappeared and I didn't know why and when she returned she would play this some real, real tape of these musicians doing her music. And then she would tell me that she had gone to the East Coast and she was going to have like a um, audition. And i do not sure if it was the village vanguard or the village gate. But she was being offered a performing career. That kind of like put an like, exclamation mark on wow. It's not mom just going to, you know, sing at church services or at Hoot nannies or you know, protest marches. It's you know something that's really legitimate because I mean you know we all grow up and you know we have this idea of our parents and you know we're so prejudiced about our parents because we know them and on know all where all the bodies are buried. But um, then when you get a chance to really you know look at them as people and appreciate. Who they are and what they're not, and for someone who,
1: as you said, kept reinventing herself every decade, <laughs> it feels like every decade there's a new Betty doing new things. Is that right?
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, she was she's been quite a few different Bettys. I mean, music was one part, and that was back in the 60s and 70s. Then 80s Betty checked in, and the 90s and the 2000s, and so, you know, keeping up with it. After the 70s, I mean, Musical Betty was like put in a box and put in, you know, the closet. And let's talk
1: about that, uh, about kind of the rediscovery now of Musical
4: Betty. Well, basically... Brian Gibble, who is the documentarian of the documentary that's being done by her, first came in to do a story about Reed's Records. And I was running Reed's Records at the time when we started, but once Brian discovered my mother, who she was, as a park ranger, and then she opened up the closet and showed him her music, things kind of shifted. So the next thing we're going
5: to hear is a piece by Betty Reed Soskin.
2: We gather here,
5: I feel
2: you near, on this beautiful night.
4: And then she opened up the closet and showed him her music. I mean, he takes them out and gets them digitized and he's just blown away. How would you like to see
1: your mother's music legacy remembered and celebrated in the future?
4: Musical Betty. I mean, her music is timeless. It applies to right now, although it was written over 50 years ago. I mean, in the times we are living right now, her music is current. So, I mean, you can't say that about a lot of songwriters. You know, I mean, it's not dated. I mean, it can happen at any time. And it seems like it's going to go into the future, even beyond her.
2: Feel the fire.
4: Maybe this releasing
2: of the music to the public is a way of making myself whole. And maybe I need to do that before I die. Back now. I've assigned my name to freedom. Your fears, like mine, can be left behind. Close the spaces between.
1: That was Diara Malik Kitty-Reed talking about the music of her mother, Betty Reed Soskin. And you can meet Diara tonight. She'll be at a screening of a special preview of the documentary Sign My Name to Freedom, followed by a discussion with her and director Brian Gibble. That's at KLW's downtown pop-up space in San Francisco at 220 Montgomery. We've got all the details at KALW.org slash 220 Montgomery.
2: To this lovely day now here In our hearts we know Peace on earth can grow From these fingers Love warmed. Your hand in mine This simple sign of love love. Your hand in mine This simple sign of love Holy Thank
1: you so much. You're listening to Cross Currents from KALW News. I'm Hannah Baba. As we just heard, the Bay Area is a place where black musicians have thrived through the decades. If we go back to the 40s, 50s, and 60s, Richmond had a famous blues scene that attracted world-famous artists like Big Mama Thornton and B.B. King. It was also a fertile ground for women-owned venues like Minnie Lou's, and all of those clubs have now closed, so today's Richmond blues scene lives mostly underground. KLW's Alia Takhiah Dean introduces us to some dedicated locals who remember the golden years and are determined to keep the blues in town.
0: I'm in a quiet North Richmond neighborhood, approaching a wood-paneled building called the Men and Women of Valor Center. From the sidewalk I get a hint of what's going on inside. And then I open the door and I follow the rhythmic guitar into the main hall. There's about 50 chairs set up like a church service, but most of them are empty. People are dancing on the carpeted floor, swinging their hips to a full band accompanying tonight's jam session singers. And folks like Reggie Rolls and Lady E are eager to talk to me about what this music means to them.
3: All, everything is derived in, and is manifested from the blues. You know, all of it. If you listen to some of these rappers, a lot of their songs that they rap on, it's the, the basics is blues. It's blues. Yeah. My baby left me. <laughs> you know, it's... It, it's just, it's a, it just, it, it feels like somebody reaches inside of you and pulls something out.
5: Let me tell you something, the blues is my roots. That, that's it. That's full, that's explanatory. It's my roots. When I'm a little girl. See, when I was a little girl, we could go inside of the nightclub. You know, we could party with the old folks.
0: This neighborhood is no stranger to live blues, and the North and Greater Richmond Blues Foundation throws events like this one to remind the town of its legacy. Actually, this building used to be the Playboy Club back in the day. DeGena Burks founded the Blues Foundation. When
5: you got Burks, it works.
0: She's dabbled in all sorts of work, from owning a travel cruise business, to selling cosmetics, to advocating for survivors of domestic violence. On the side, she sang the blues. Then, in 2020, she got a call. Jimmy McCracklin's daughter
5: reached out to me. She'd seen me do festivals and things like that.
0: Jimmy was a world-renowned blues singer who spent most of his career in North Richmond, and he was about to celebrate his 100th birthday. But DeGina learned that not many people knew about him or his city's history. She saw a need and an opportunity.
5: So that was my idea to try to bring the history that I had heard so much about that Richmond had to the forefront because I felt like we were being treated like a stepchild. You hear about Oakland's blues scene, you hear about Haywood Russell City's blues scene, you hear about San Francisco, but you didn't hear anything about Richmond. And I'm like, and Richmond was one of the biggest ones.
0: Why should they be So she started the Blues Foundation. She throws events like tonight's jam session to remember the scene and its roots, to let newcomers find their way in and meet pros who've been playing the blues for decades. One of those pros is Henry Oden. He's lived in Richmond all his life. He's also a world-renowned bassist and one of the last surviving blues musicians from Richmond's golden years. At
3: one time, going through the neighborhoods in Richmond, you could hear music. You could hear guitar players playing in their house. You could hear piano playing from people's houses. You could hear people singing in their houses.
0: He says that Black workers from the South and Midwest brought the blues to Richmond.
3: Richmond was like fish hook. Fishhook is always at the end of a line, huh? Okay. It was the end of the line for Pullman Porters.
0: The men who worked on sleeper trains that ran across the U.S. From the late 1800s through World War II, almost all Pullman Porters were Black men, originally from the South.
3: And when they came to Richmond, they looked around and saw the Black community that was here. And then they said, oh, Here's land, here's opportunity.
0: And the Pullman Porters shared job opportunities from Richmond's shipyard and factories with friends and family. That brought an influx of African-Americans from across the U.S., but mostly from Texas, Arkansas, Alabama, Oklahoma, and Louisiana.
3: They brought themselves, they brought their culture. When they brought their culture, they brought their music.
0: What developed was a style called the West Coast Blues, if Chicago blues grew out of Mississippi, the music here had roots in Texas country blues. Henry says you can hear it in the music.
3: Here's an example.
2: I went to all the places
3: where he might go.
0: Here's a song he wrote and played called Uncle Joe.
3: Uncle Joe. Will somebody tell me, somebody tell me, somebody's gotta know.
0: Richmond musicians often dumped the harmonica and added loud instruments like electric guitar, strong piano, and saxophone. The music had a kind of draggy beat and a raw sound, an energy that came from Texas and Louisiana black musical traditions. (laughs) Blues clubs were all over Richmond.
3: I feel like an archaeologist because I can show you where all the relics are.
0: Right next to the train tracks in North Richmond...
3: You would have found Tapper's Inn. You would have found the home of High Tide Harris.
0: And around the corner...
3: There's the Medical Center now, but that's where Minnie Lou's was.
0: One block up on Grove Street, you would have found the Brown Derby and the Lone Star.
3: There was the Manhattan Club that sat on the corner of 2nd and
0: Barrett. The Slick Chick, Little Ricky's. And last but not least...
3: The Velvet Hammer. That's where I first saw Little Joe Blue. I opened up the door and looked in.
0: And Henry and his friends got kicked out of the club.
3: We were 16. (laughs) And had no business. But hey, we wanted to hear the blues.
0: The scene was huge, but it wasn't easy to get a foot in the door.
3: Richmond had this notorious grip that if you, uh, if you came to the jam session and didn't play well, that somebody might meet you outside and take your instrument and give it to somebody who could play.
0: He had to prove himself. When he was 16, Henry went to his first jam session. The other musicians just laughed.
3: They counted off a tune that was so fast I could hardly keep up. But I kept up. And from that, they said, well, hey, obviously he can play. And so they were nice to me thereafter. And the guy who had been on the scene as the bass player, like I say, I took his place.
0: More than 50 years later at tonight's jam session, Danielle Wansley tells me she got her start drumming with blues singer Margie Turner almost the exact same way one jam session in 2012.
4: Music director liked what I was doing, and he had just fired his other drummer. And um, yeah, my uncle called me and was like, you know, you busy on Monday nights? I was like, nope, um, let's do it, yep.
0: And she's been playing with them ever since. But these days, her story is more of an anomaly than the norm. All of the clubs from Richmond's Blues District closed down. And there are a few theories about what exactly happened to cause the blues scene to diminish so much. The 60s were a time of upheaval. Richmond saw an increase in unemployment rates and drugs introduced into the community. Local businesses lost their customer base as richer families moved out into nearby suburbs and entire blocks closed for urban renewal projects. Most of them never reopened, including blues district clubs. And new forms of music seemed to match the energy and politics of the time. R&B was huge, then soul. For young people, blues started to sound like their parents' and grandparents' music. DeGena Burks of the Blues Foundation put some of the blame on disco.
5: And I heard disco caused a lot of problems for a lot of musicians.
0: <laughs> Clubs could just hire DJs, not a whole band. Some musicians in Richmond ran them out of town.
5: The disco just like had its little window and then,
0: bye. She says an even bigger hit to blues in North Richmond was cultural appropriation. This is uh, roots
5: music was started by African-Americans down in the South, the migrant workers.
0: But she says, look at blues festivals today, and most of the headliners are white, not Black. So
5: for Black people, a lot of times, in the venues where we should be able to play, we're not invited, because the older white boys with the money, they can buy three and four guitars. they get these gigs and they set up the events. And so I think that for African Americans, I think a lot of them have looked at, well, the blues is dead because number one, don't nobody want to hear that old music, but yet still they're not understanding that somebody else done took it over and is using it the way that they want to. The foundation wants to reclaim Richmond blues for future generations. So my ultimate goal is to have a cultural center that focuses in on that history of Richmond. On a personal level, the foundation's work gives DeGina hope for the future. When I worked in domestic violence, I dealt with so much mess, so much upheaval, so much hatred, so much sadness. And now I don't have to do that. I look to see people smile and be happy
0: and then take
5: it out into the community Together the other people.
0: For musician Henry Oden, the blues embodies both sadness and joy, and that's why it continues to matter.
3: Blues is more than just the music. <laughs> blues is a feeling and it's an emotion. And as long as we have that emotion and that feeling and that disparity and that condition. There's going to be blues. every <laughs> Every day ain't Sunday. Mm.
0: He says the music will be interpreted differently, but it will always be here. In Richmond, I'm Alia Tokedin for Cross Currents.
5: Now, California.
0: Alia
1: was a fellow in our 2023 Audio Academy. You can find more of her stories at klw.org/crosscurrents.
3: Now, first, boys, five From eight to 80, cross
1: Tune in tomorrow morning at 11. Malcolm X was often seen as a polarizing figure, but to one Egyptian diplomat, he was a friend.
3: Malcolm was interested in finding answers to questions that occupied
1: his mind. The friendship between Malcolm X and Tahsim Bashir, tomorrow morning at 11. And before we go, let's hear from another Bay Area black musician. All this month, we're featuring some of the Bay Area's black musicians. This is San Francisco jazz pianist, Roy Brown. He'll be performing this Friday in his city at Hotel Adagio. Today's Cross Currents team includes Sandra Halliday, Alastair Boone, James Rollins, Gonadie Joe Johnson, Victor Tense, Shireen Hadid, Lisa Morehouse, Marissa Ortega Welch, Sunni Khalid, Angela Johnston, and Ben Trefney. Our opening theme music is by the John Santos Quintet, as interpreted by Daoud Anthony. For Cross Currents, I'm Hannah Baba.